The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's funny. Erin, our producer, said something to me earlier, and I wasn't sure what it was, and she was telling me what I eventually figured out. Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, Keanu Neal. No, That's yeah. the connection, although, yeah, you know, okay. Curly Neal, That's they could have called him Curly. They could have called him Curly. Wouldn't Curly be a better <laughs> yeah. Curly Neal? Remember Curly Neal? Yeah. We're, Curly we're getting Neal. to the point yeah. where there aren't many people out there who know who Curly no. Neal was. And I actually feel sad for the people out there. Like, Miles Simmons, I guarantee you, has no idea who Curly Neal was because he was famous before Miles was born. And I'm starting to think that in Miles' mind, nothing happened in the world. The human species was Uh hunter-gatherers before 1991, late September when Miles was born. How do you a couple of minutes ago because Michael Smith, I don't know if you saw the t-shirt, awesome t-shirt, awesome t-shirt, Back to the Future reference. I'm telling you, you gotta gotta watch Back to the Future. See this name, George Pickens, Shereen, maybe pro football reference will give him the nickname of Slim. That's another one that Miles won't know who (laughs) we're talking about. I remember Uh Slim Pickens riding a nuclear warhead at uh, the end of Dr. Strangelove. Another Friday closer to death, it's Miles Simmons with the short sleeves on today because it's a heat wave in Southern California. Can't wear a zip up today, baby. It's 79 degrees in SoCal. How are you, pal? Uh Uh-uh. It's 90 degrees here in Santa Monica, and I got no AC in this apartment, so if I keel over of heat stroke... That's what's going on. That's why I got to wear short sleeves. I don't want to overheat. Why I don't like it, first of all. Why, because, why it, it get, because normally it doesn't get above 75 degrees here. So there are a lot of apartments around, you know, this area, which I am, I'm not, I'm very close to the beach. I'll put it that way. I don't want to give away my location here in sunny Santa Monica. But like on normal days, it does not get above 75 degrees. This is one of the only times, like it, since I've been back in June, this is the only time it's been above 85 degrees two days in a row. And the problem with that is that it didn't get to cool off properly yesterday. So today has been particularly unbearable in this apartment. If I were not doing TV today, Mike, I would not be sitting here right now. Well, maybe you'll be sweating like I usually do during PFTPM, yeah. primarily because I work out, I take a shower, and sometimes the shower doesn't take you need to get yourself a commando eight that is the window oh, unit what? that fell out of jerry seinfeld's apartment and landed on the dog commando eight uh, more th- more th- more references i don't understand yeah you were at Talk least alive yeah exactly there you go don't tell me you've never watched seinfeld <laughs> i'm not I, that's not something that's you've you never know, watched like, it? i mean i've seen an episode or two here and there but no like i you know, if the sitcom that I really like from like the '90s, early 2000s is Everybody Loves Raymond. I think subliminally, subliminally, maybe easy for me to say. At some point, that's why I kind of turned into a sports writer because I loved that show so much. We'd watch the reruns of that pretty much every day. And right now, I'll tell you what, though, I'm, I'm totally into Friends. I've been watching that on a streaming service that is not Peacock, so we won't mention it. But I'm like in the sixth season now. It's actually it's funnier than I ever thought it would be. Well, you need to give Seinfeld a try at some point. Don't be stubborn. I think you get Maybe stubborn. I'll do that next. I think you resist 
watching shows <laughs> that people tell you you should watch or movies I, that people I, uh, tell you you should watch. I have given up. My mom can you tell you that. That's very true. Back to yeah. the Future. You know, you the father of the actress, I'm sure you know this, the father of the actress that plays Deborah in Everybody Loves Raymond, long term or long time, easy for me to say, sports writer, mm -hmm. I think at the Cleveland Plain Dealer, right? Yes. Yes. Chuck Heaton. Absolutely. Yeah. So I know a little Everybody Loves tri uh, Raymond trivia. And I watched the entire series on Peacock last summer. It was yeah, my, my workout. On uh, on the phone while I do my bike, so yeah. I can you know have dessert and not worry about. Used to worry about not, my clothes <laughs> not fitting. Now I'm at the point where I have to worry about heart disease. So either way, I try okay. to I try to exercise to extend my life. So I'm even though I am another Friday closer to death, it's more Fridays into the future than you know it otherwise would be. All right, let's get to yeah. it. You weren't on yesterday when the I news wasn't. hit of the well. I'm, 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 that's just a pre, I know I wasn't asking for confirmation. I'm aware. Well, you didn't you know that I wasn't going to be there like last week. So you're like, whoa, what are you doing here? Like, so maybe you were this surprised when I wasn't there yesterday. I don't know. <laughs> I, I never know when you're going to show up. I never do. Maybe that's how we should do it. It should be blind. Every PFTPM. I, I don't fun. know who it's going to yeah. be until <laughs> the show actually begins. Not that it changes my approach at all. It's not like, oh, geez, it's a miles day. I have to do something differently. It's just you sit down and you talk football for an hour. All right, anyway, yesterday, Shereen and I spent a lot of time talking about the amended complaint in the Brian Flores case with the addition of Steve Wilkes, the one-year Arizona Cardinals head coach, Ray Horton, who sued the Tennessee Titans because he was passed over in the sham hiring process, as Mike Malarkey admitted it to be. In September of 2020, one of the most amazing interviews I've ever heard. And I've now resolved whenever interviewing anyone to include the question, do you have any regrets? Because you never know what they're going to say. And there's a chance they're going to confess to something that you never would have expected. Anyway, give me your thoughts as you process what's gone on for the past day or so. This case now has triple the plaintiffs, three more teams added to it. Obviously, the second complaint didn't get as much attention as the first one because the first one was the first time somebody crossed that bridge that the NFL probably assumed would never happen. But now we've got three, and now we've got different claims, and it feels like to the average person there's some meat there. What's your take on what we heard and learned yesterday? Yeah, I, In some ways, I almost feel like this is a bigger deal, especially when it comes to Ray Horton and Mike Malarkey and the Tennessee Titans, right? I think that that's pretty much as close to getting caught red-handed as we've ever seen with somebody, or at least in, you know, lately, right? With somebody totally violating the Rooney rule. You know, I, I, if nothing else, like this should result in a pretty heavy fine for the Tennessee Titans when you have somebody who was a part of that process literally telling you that this is what happened and this was my understanding of it. And we had, you know, I, I had conversations with the general manager and we were like, yeah, I don't even know why I'm interviewing you. We, we know what the result of this is before it occurs. So we've seen teams get fined for violating the Rooney rule before, but especially when this occurred in 2016, this is not something that should have happened. And frankly, it, it, it makes me feel like, oh, you know, the Titans thought, well, we, of course, know who our head coach is going to be because he was already here. He was the interim guy. We, we know him. We know this. We know that. Like, that's different 
than what it should be, right? And that's a violation of the rules, plain and simple. And so when you have this kind of you know, proverbial smoking gun, you're catching somebody red-handed like this, that I think makes a huge, huge difference in what it is that we're talking about. Because you're right, I mean, it, it was a pretty remarkable interview where you know this kind of got lost in the sense of an hour-long podcast on a Steelers fan podcast thing that, you know, yesterday when I saw it only had, I think, 1,200 views on YouTube, which kind of tells you exactly how unpopular this was and why this got buried. So I think I saw you and Shereen talking about it yesterday. You know, somebody probably alerted, whether it was Ray Horton or Brian Flores or whoever, like, hey, this exists and this is out there and you might want to take a look at it because it speaks to exactly what you're talking about in this lawsuit. I wouldn't be surprised, as I said yesterday, if Mike Malarkey was the one who made someone aware of it after the Brian Flores lawsuit was filed. Because when you listen to the earnest manner in which he delivers that regret that he had for being part of a sham hiring process, it wouldn't surprise me if he reached out to someone and said, hey, you should go back and listen to this. Now, now, two things I have to say. One, the problem with the NFL being expected to do the right thing here is that the NFL would be doing it in the context of also defending this claim. So similarly to the Dolphins allegation made by Brian Flores that Stephen Ross offered $100,000 per loss in 2019, the NFL has no real incentive to find that Ross did it and tell the world that Ross did it. Same thing with the Titans. The NFL has no incentive to find that what Mike Malarkey is saying is accurate and the Titans did violate the Rooney rule because it's all happening in the confines of a lawsuit that the NFL needs to defend itself against. Why is the NFL going to make the process any easier for Brian Flores? And I'll give you just a general comparison, not a specific example, but back when I practiced law, and if you didn't know, Miles, I I used to practice law. Never but heard of when you would when you would sue a company and I won't name names because some of them actually sponsor various of the programming that we have available. And I hope they never figure out that I used to sue them. But I digress. Um, and, but it's true. But <laughs> but somebody's if gonna, you would, somebody's going to go look that stuff up <laughs> right now. You should not mention that. You just you just invited something you didn't want to invite. If you would accuse a company of sexual harassment there would typically be a manager who is the one who engaged in the sexual harassment that puts the company in a tough spot because if they find the guy did it and they fire him makes the case stronger so they tend to rally around the person who is accused of wrongdoing until the case is over then they fire him i mean that that's how it goes frankly but they have every incentive to back him up because if they don't accept his version, if they do impose discipline, if they do say, we caught you red-handed with your hand pressed at the bottom of the cookie jar, it hurts them. So that's one of my concerns as it relates to the Mike Malarkey situation. And otherwise, Miles, bigger picture as it relates to the Rooney Rule, I can only think of one time a team got whacked, and it was when Matt Millen failed to comply when everybody knew that the Lions were hiring Steve Mariucci. Sherm Lewis, who was an assistant on the Lions staff at the time, refused to sit for an interview because he knew it was a sham and good for him. But, but ever since then, the NFL will bend itself into a linguistic pretzel to excuse whatever violation apparently may have happened, whether it's Washington firing Jim Zorn 
and already knowing it was going to hire Mike Shanahan. And the excuse we eventually got after we pressed and pressed and pressed back in 2009 was, well, they interviewed Jerry Gray before they fired Jim Zorn. Now, that loophole has since been plugged. And just a few years ago, when John Gruden became the head coach of the Raiders, unofficially, before Jack Del Rio was fired, then we get this cockamamie explanation that they they interviewed T. Martin before John Gruden actually signed the papers, so it was okay. So, so they don't like to find violations. They don't like to stand up and tell the world, just like with the injury report and other things that teams do. They don't want to tell the world we got corruption happening right under our noses. They'd rather brush that under the rug. So I don't know that anything is going to come of this. I don't know that the NFL is going to do anything because job number one is circle the wagons, deny, deny, deny. Oh, wait, job number one is try to get the case resolved in the NFL's rigged kangaroo court where Roger Goodell or one of his designees handles the case. That's not justice. You know, justice is supposed to be the scales. That's this. That is that is set up for the teams to win, for the league to win. It's shameful. It's wrong. And I hope one thing that comes out of this moment for the NFL is enough people stand up and say that is a bullcrap maneuver that you guys have been doing for years to rig the system, to hide from public view and scrutiny your wrongdoing. I mean, I said this today. Why would they feel compelled to have that rigged system if they didn't know they were doing wrong? Anyway, I don't want to get all cranked up again. I'm surprised well, I didn't get fired after some of the things I said this morning. But, hey, you know, well, I, always, I always recommended to employers that I used to consult don't fire anybody until late afternoon on a Friday. So, I don't know, maybe the call is going to come during the show. <laughs> maybe it will. Which um, would be something. Let me check my phone. That no, nothing yet. certainly would be. I mean, yeah. I guess I'd just be on for the rest of the hour. That would be an interesting thing. No, but, you know, I read that thing that you were just saying about Matt Millen in Playmakers, which is available now. And, you know, if you haven't bought it yet, you should absolutely go to Amazon.com and order that. But that was a I, chapter in the book, which is why remember I fired I sort of you on Twitter the other day. Mind. Yeah, I retract it. I retract Thank my you. firing of you. Uh, yeah, thank you. I thought you thank might. You. Thought you might there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, the, you know, the other interesting thing to me about this whole Wilkes thing and, you know, adding Wilkes and, and Horton to it, I, when you look at the Cardinals and the Cardinals having the situation that they did, where Steve Wilkes was fired after one year, where, I mean, the Cardinals look completely overmatched basically the, that entire season. And I thought it's interesting that he pointed out in the amendment of the lawsuit, like, hey, I wanted Josh Allen. I want Josh Rosen. And like, that's maybe easy to say now, you know, when we are here in 2022 and Josh Allen's up here and Josh Rosen is, I think, still on the Falcons or something. I don't know, but he's never. Yeah, exactly. So he's he's never gotten to the point where I think a lot of us thought he might um, coming out, coming into that draft. But, you know, you, you have Steve Wilkes, who was basically kind of being a first-time head coach with a hand tie behind his back because Steve Kime got popped with an extreme DUI, played guilty to it, was imposed with a team suspension and a team fine in that summer. But now it seems, was he actually suspended? Was he actually, you know, not communicating with the team or at least at the highest levels of the team because it appears that Wilkes was at least hampered by him not communicating with the GM, but the ownership may not have been. At least that's the accusation that's presented in the lawsuit now. So, I mean, I, I saw the Cardinals week two of that season, 
because they played the Los Angeles Rams out here in the Coliseum. And my God, they were completely overmatched. Bradford couldn't move. They lost that game 34 to nothing to the Rams. So I don't know how much that that affected things. But when you're looking at it and Kime, act, if he didn't actually get punished, like that's another separate issue that may not be taken care of until this whole lawsuit is over. But it's something that at least should be further investigated. I think that it, well, it will be within the confines of the litigation, but again, arbitration. Oh, by the league is what I'm saying. Limited yeah. access. Right, right. I don't know that the league is going to do anything about it. And the league's comment on any of this so far right. has been no comment, which is a well, far it's a cry smarter from play than the last cases time. without merit. Right. Well, yeah. and look, especially with six attorneys general now vowing to investigate and prosecute, the NFL needs to realize anything it says can and will be used against it. So it is better to say nothing. It is better mm -hmm. to keep your head low and your mouth shut so you don't say something that's going to cause a problem for you later. And it definitely caused a PR problem for the NFL to have a knee-jerk reaction on February 1, right after Brian Flores files his lawsuit to say the claims are without merit. How in the hell do you know they're without merit? I mean, that was one of the low points from the NFL's perspective in recent years, to have the audacity to just say, up, oh, it's without merit. Up, oh, it's without merit. And then we find out as the days go by, well, there, there may be some potential merit to these claims. Well, the Steve yeah, Wilkes I mean, thing, though. It was like though, a week and ahead. a half later. The, sorry, it was a week and a half later. What, two weeks later that Goodell at the press conference at SoFi Stadium is basically saying, like, yeah, there are things that we need to look into and we need to do better, which basically reverses the entire thing of saying, oh, yeah, the claims are without merit. How can they be without merit if we, need to, if we know we need to do better? It, it, those two statements are in Congress. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not they actually do investigate whether the Steve Kime suspension was real or whether he was involved and who he was talking to, who he was communicating with, who authorized it, who required it. Steve Wilkes knows, and maybe other employees of the organization at the time know as well. That's part of what would be fully and fairly developed if the case would stay in federal court and the lawyer representing Steve Wilkes, Brian Flores, and Ray Horton would have the opportunity to take depositions, to get to the bottom of things, to get text messages, emails, phone logs, etc., to determine whether or not Steve Kime was indeed honoring the terms of his suspension with or without the knowledge of the team. And I would assume that if anything was happening, probably was happening with the knowledge of owner Michael Bidwell. But that's the kind of chaos that can be created separate from the strict legal theories that are brought up in a case. That's why you want to avoid litigation altogether. It can create all sorts of other issues for an organization as things come to light that otherwise would have been kept out of view. So the Cardinals have a problem. The Titans have a problem. The Dolphins have a problem. The Broncos and the Giants kind of get lost and forgotten in all of this, and they probably have the strongest defenses of any of the teams that have been accused of anything. But again, we'll see how it all plays out in litigation. This is going to be a long and complicated process. There will be developments from time to time. People will reach out to me and say, hey, what's going on with the case? Why aren't you talking about it? We'll talk about it when there are developments. We're not going to talk about it when there's nothing to talk about. When there's something to talk about, we will give it it's fair and due treatment because these are things that need to be brought to light. The only way to get the NFL to change is to talk about these things, to make fans aware of these things, and to help people. It's hard because people compartmentalize the bright, shiny objects and these things that happen that shouldn't happen. But I still think fans and i'm not saying anybody should stop watching football should not enjoy football it's possible to love the game enjoy the game and expect more out of the people in charge of the game i think there's a way yes. to reconcile the two
I, I agree with you. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that this means that, oh my gosh, you know, the NFL is so horrible, we have to turn off our televisions, right? I don't, I don't think either of us are saying that. But I, I do think that, especially when you look at the Cardinals situation, right, and you have uh, Steve Wilkes getting fired after one season, and it was not a good season, right? I mean, I'm not sitting here and I'm not going to say that, like, oh my gosh, why didn't they give Steve Wilkes? I, I, I understand why an organization would make that decision. However, Steve Wilkes was not the only person in charge of getting that team okay, right? Like getting that team on a proper path. And I think when you look at what Wilkes is saying, the element of privilege is there, right? There was a privilege that was extended to Steve Kime when he was able to engage in what they term in the lawsuit, fireable behavior, but was able to come back have a complete do-over on the coach and the quarterback the next year and has now been extended pretty far into the future with his tenure um, for the Arizona Cardinals. All right, so there's a privilege there that was extended to Steve Kime and patience there that was extended to Steve Kime that was not exhibited to Steve Wilkes. And you can say the same thing about Cliff Kingsbury, even though those teams keep falling apart at the end of the season. So I, I think that's another one of these things where it, it's helpful, at least in my mind, to point this out, right? Like there are differences in the levels of privilege extended to different people in the NFL. And some of that might be structural racism. And that's how you prove cases like this. No one's ever going to get on a witness stand and say, you got me. Yep, you got me. Great job asking those questions. You've backed me into a corner and I admit it. You prove it by showing differences in treatment. You've got a general manager who had the extreme DUI that arguably was fireable in and of itself, 0.19 on 4th of July in 2018, possibly the notion that he was involved when he shouldn't have been involved, and the team bends over backward for him and only gives Steve Wilkes one year, a year that was set up to fail from the get-go, so he could yes. be the bridge coach. See, I think the, the bigger picture argument would be that – if a team knows it's in kind of a weird transition period and it knows it's not going to be good for a couple of years, it doesn't matter who the coach is. So, hey, we can say we have a diverse coaching staff. We hired a black mm -hmm. coach. Now's the time to do it. And then you fire him when you're ready to move on and actually put a team together that wins. That's what happened to yes. David Culley. That's yes. possibly what would have happened to Brian Flores because mm – -hmm. Stephen Ross was hell-bent on getting Sean Payton earlier this year in the Flores lawsuit, put the kibosh on that. But, but if Flores had gone along with Stephen Ross in 2019 and had gone 1-15 and they get Joe Burrow, maybe he buys him out, clears the decks, and hires a different coach after one season. I mean, that, that's one of the arguments that's being made here, that when it's time for a short-term coach – that seems to be the occasion for a team to hire a black coach and let him fail and then get rid of him and hire somebody else. And that, that's one of those things that just, you know, no one's ever going to admit it. But when it happens over and over again, the circumstances tend to prove it. It can't be an accident if it's happening over and over again. Right, exactly. I mean, it's like he keeps saying about the coin, right? If you flip a coin that's heads or tails and it comes up 490 times heads out of 500, like there's something wrong with the coin. So that's, I think, what we're trying to get at here. And, you know, thank you also for not, you know, using the quote from a movie that I haven't seen by uh, Jack Nicholson when you're talking about people admitting things on the stand.
Who will rid me of this meddlesome priest? That quote? No, not that one. You know the oh. quote I'm talking um, about. <laughs> okay. Uh, you got damn right I did. That's yeah, a great movie. You need to you. see that movie. Although, I don't <laughs> think it holds up. I don't think it holds up overall as well. There's something strange, and you can't relate to this because you don't watch movies from the 80s. Some movies from the <laughs> 80s, if you go back and watch them, they are as good now as they were then. Other Star movies, Wars. when you watch them, and I don't, well, that was from the 70s, but other movies, some of the, the, the first two, one, the other two. The last two were made in the 80s. Thank you. Yeah, I know. okay. Empire there we Strikes go. Back and Return mm-hmm. of the Jedi. Originally, it was going to be mm-hmm. Revenge of the Jedi, but I think they thought that was too aggressive, so they say Return of the Jedi. Regardless, so, I don't know whether it was production values or what. You know, from, from everything, from the, the opening credits to just the feel, the quality of the music, some of them still hold up, and some of them just don't. And it's so weird. And you would have never guessed at the time which ones are going to appeal to a mass audience 40 years from now. And I don't even know that they cared about it, but it's just kind of a weird dynamic that has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But that's all right. All right. Uh, One of the questions that had been lingering about Deshaun Watson and his contract with the Browns. Very simple. $230 million fully guaranteed for five years. Well, the problem is he's facing a suspension at some point this year or next year, presumably for the incidents he was involved with, allegedly whatever, in Houston. So if you're suspended under the personal conduct policy, the standard contract language, basically, it does two things. Number one, it puts you in a position where you have to pay back signing bonus money applicable to the games that you missed because of the suspension. Secondly, it voids your guarantees moving forward if you're suspended under the conduct policy. So Right after this was done three Fridays ago, I reached out to somebody who would know what was going on. I said, hey, is there language in here to protect Deshaun Watson's guarantees against a suspension? And the response was, of course there is. We would be crazy not to have ensured that there would be language like that. in there." Okay, fine. A week later, though, two weeks ago, when they introduced Deshaun Watson, Andrew Barry, the GM of the team, was asked the question, is there language in there that would affect the guarantees if there's a suspension? And he said that there is typical protections in there for the club, typical protections, which would mean if he is suspended, the guarantees go away, which makes the 230 million guarantees meaningless. You could wipe them out and you don't have to keep him. If for some reason he's not very good or there's some other incident or whatever, you're not required to pay him every penny of $230 million. So I finally got the contract. And what the contract contains is the standard language at the bottom of every paragraph where it has the standard default language, it basically carves out matters covered by the contents of a letter containing disclosures provided to the team. Now, there's no copy of the letter attached to the contract, but the letter, I'm told, is fair to assume that it includes the 22 plaintiffs who have sued him for sexual misconduct during massage therapy sessions. So they've carved out these 22 cases. So if he is suspended this year or next year, if it's 2024, he still is subject to the default and the guarantee void. But 2022 or 2023, any suspension arising from the things contained in that letter, i.e. the 22 lawsuits, his guarantees are still in full force and effect. And that's not surprising because otherwise the guarantees are meaningless. But it's odd that the Browns would have told us something two weeks ago that isn't true. It's not it standard odd? club protection. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, because there's no reason 
There's no reason to claim that you've got standard. It makes no sense because we all expect okay. this guy to get suspended. So right. it makes no sense to have standard club protection and tout this contract as $230 million fully guaranteed if you've got the standard protection to wipe out the guarantees. And and it's it's just it's not standard protection. There's an exception to it. And I don't yes. know why they, they didn't feel comfortable admitting that. That's not some major strategic secret that somehow compromises the Browns. And the truth was going to come out. Somebody was going to get that contract and see that it isn't typical club protection. Yes, but, I mean, are you surprised by this at all? I mean, it, it's just, to me, it's like, well, the Browns said that they were comfortable acquiring Deshaun Watson, you know, even though that there are still 22 active cases, right? I mean, all the teams started pursuing him after it was clear he was not going to be indicted, at least the first time, you know, in Texas with those nine cases. And then obviously we got the other grand jury coming back with no indictment um, in a different county in Texas as well. So from my perspective, here's the way I understand it, right? The, the Browns said they were comfortable with Deshaun Watson and they constructed a contract that made it seem that makes it clear that they were comfortable with what we know publicly and some other things that they probably know privately about these 22 cases. But if something else comes up, if there is another shoe to drop, then they are protected in the sense that all of those guarantees could be voided. Do, do I have that right? Yes, yes. And that's why the ruling from earlier this week that Deshaun Watson must answer questions in the confines of the 22 pending cases regarding consensual sexual encounters he had with any of the 18 massage therapists who came forward last year with statements of support. That may be why they so strenuously objected. That may be why they are very sensitive about it. And I mentioned earlier, we got a phone call the other night. Somebody wasn't very happy with me because I kind of agreed with the reasoning from the judge. If there's evidence that Deshaun Watson has been getting massages and they've been turning sexual, that would be relevant to his state of mind when he goes to get a massage, that he thinks it's hmm. going to be a massage Plus, which would explain some of the behaviors that the women are complaining about, where he's trying to turn things in that direction accidentally at first and then not accidentally after that. So, so but, but didn't we already so before you move on, didn't we already know that from his own attorney saying that some of the, you know, massage therapy sessions turned into consensual sexual wow. encounters? It's one thing for Rusty Harden to admit it at a press conference. It's another thing for Deshaun Watson to be asked to admit it individually as it relates to these okay. 18 people. And it could be, Miles, that the, and we don't have that letter that was sent yeah. by Watson to Brown with the disclosures. But if the letter is restricted to the 22 individuals, let's just play this out. Okay. Let's say that he eventually admits that for each of the 18 individuals who came forward with statements of support, every single one of them, it was a massage that turned sexual. Every single one of them. Okay. What if the NFL then says, you know, this guy's got a problem. This guy is a serial seeker of prostitution under the guise of a massage. And he requires intervention. He requires a suspension. A lot of the reasoning that was articulated to Ben Roethlisberger in 2010. And even if he's not suspended at all, 
on the 22 cases, or if it's two separate suspensions. If the NFL says you're getting five games, and I'm just pulling a number out of the air, five games for the 22 individuals who sued you, five games for your admitted habit of getting massages that turn sexual with people who didn't sue you, if those 18, if one of those other 18 get pulled into this and they aren't disclosed in that letter, that potentially puts his guarantees at risk and potentially puts signing bonus money at risk and changes everything. And it only matters if the Browns don't get what they think they're getting by way of the player. But right. I guarantee you, if they get a player less than what they think they're getting, yeah, they're not going to turn their nose up at an opportunity to pull the plug on the balance of his contract if they can do it. Well, right, exactly. And but, I mean, any team would do that. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's the way this thing works in the NFL. You know, you it, with any player, the, the team is going to keep the player until they feel like, A, the player doesn't work well enough, the player doesn't play well enough, and they can get rid of them. Like, that, that's just the way that this works. I mean, it's, But they it's own exactly $230 million. Why. That's why they're looking right. – that's why – I'm not saying they're looking for a way out. My point is no, but, this but language could, way could yes, give them yeah, a way yeah. out. Yes. Yes, We're on the exactly. Same page. Exactly. Yes. So, I mean, it makes – I think it makes sense. I mean, you know, because you have to have some sort of protection somewhere that if something like this comes up again or there is some other off-the-field issue with Deshaun Watson, the Browns could move on, and they wouldn't necessarily owe him the balance of whatever is left on the $230 million. I mean, I think from an organizational standpoint, it certainly makes sense. I'm told we're a little heavy for this opening segment. I think that's polite. We're about 10 minutes heavy. So let's take a break and figure out what the hell we're going to do with the rest of the show. Wait, oh, on the way out the door, because we had some legalese in the Deshaun Watson contract that was quoted today. Nolo Contendere was one of the lines in the actual contract. And Amy Trask, a former and still current lawyer, uh, very much enjoys the technical legal mumbo jumbo that Miles doesn't enjoy. But Amy Trask does. Let's take a break. More PFTPM coming up right after Dietz and watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever what's that mean it means never cutting corners ever it means cooking not processing it means our virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection then twice baked to layer the flavors it takes more time but you can taste the difference we come to work every day to do it the right way even if it's the hard way because if it's not right for us it's not right for you Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. How does traffic start? A, Avante Maddox, B, Miles Sanders, C, Josh Sweat. Man, you know what? That sounds like something Josh Sweat would say, you know, just being smart, saying, how does traffic even start? What, Miles? Yeah, that that's that sound that sound about right. I was between them two. I know Avante would say Taylor Swift was so good. We might go back for round two tonight. No shame, reputation tour. I'm gonna go with. You know what? That sound like Jake Elliott. <laughs> Jake, hey, I done wrestled with the alligator, tussle with the whale, bad dude. If I had to guess, I done wrestle with the alligator, tussle with the whale, bad dude. That sound like Gardner Minshew. I'm going to go B. Gardner Minshew. Let's go. 
Oh, no question at all. Tussled yeah. with an alligator. That's Gardner Minshew. Uh, you oh, know why? Yeah. Because the alligator took his carton of cigarettes. That's why, Miles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anybody that's going to take away Gardner Minshew's cigarettes and so that you can smell them through the video. Yeah, he's going to come back and he's going to tussle with that guy. <laughs> Uh, All right. Uh, Philadelphia's own Will Smith gets a 10 year ban from attending the Oscars. So what's the punishment? Uh, The the ban is uh, for slapping Chris Rock. It was only 12 (laughs) days ago. Can you believe that? It was only 12 days ago. God, time is both flying and standing still. So we're going to embrace debate. We don't want to infringe on anyone's trademarks, but with the incomp- – I'm just reading what's written in front of me. This is not I know my you wording. Are, which is why I'm laughing. With the incompetence of this league, how would the NFL have handled this? Too many times they dropped the ball in obvious situations. How would they have handled Will Smith slapping Chris Rock? Well, I mean, it would have been at least a 15-yard penalty, right? You know, a possible ejection for throwing hands. They seem to at least, at least, you know, in this day and age, they seem to uh, frown on such things. I mean, I, I think about when Turkey Jones, you know, tossed Terry Bradshaw onto his head, and even that drew a flag back in the 70s. So there are things that I know that occurred before I was born in 1991, by the way, Mike. So, you know, I just, I feel like there can at least be a flag on the play. I think Turkey Jones was actually even fined for that. That's how egregious it was back in those days. I mean, you basically had to shoot a judge to get fined in the NFL. (laughs) So he got fined for that. Um, I, I, you know, it depends on whether or not Will Smith is a player or a non-player. If Will Smith's a player, good point. He's, he's getting a significant punishment. If he's an owner, then, you know, we'll, we'll, we possibly will apply a different standard and if a lawsuit were ever filed because of it we know what would happen it would go to arbitration <laughs> and we would never know the outcome of the case so uh yeah and hey look in some seriousness i really do think stephen ross and daniel snyder need to be worried peter king and i talked about this earlier today shereen and i talked about it yesterday miles i feel like the nfl's mood right now is that it feels compelled to find a sacrificial lamb There are so many storm clouds, so many different people demanding accountability that they have to give them something. They have to give them someone. And maybe it'll be both for different reasons. I've heard some rumblings that maybe Mary Jo White is going to throw a dart that hits a bullseye on Stephen Ross. And with Daniel Snyder, I know that if they had brought Beth Wilkinson back in, I'm confident that that, that if they had brought her back in for the second phase of the investigation – that Snyder would have been found responsible and Snyder would have been out if they had listened to Beth Wilkinson because she had already concluded based on her first investigation, if they had asked for a written recommendation, that he should have been forced to sell and would have been forced to sell, but they never asked for the written recommendation. So I feel like one of these two guys, if not both, is going to end up being that that person that is aimed at placating and quieting the mob that is becoming fed up with all of this misconduct with no apparent consequence. Well, it's interesting you put it like that. I mean, the sacrificial lamb. I mean, it's not like there aren't serious things that they're accused of doing. Right. So no, no, I, mean, I agree. I agree. I agree. Happen, it's not unjustified it's not, it's not just for no reason. Yeah. 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 yeah, right. yeah. So, I mean, we can call it sacrificial lamb, but I mean, it's like, 
there, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of storm clouds. Right. There's a lot of smoke, right? So, right. you know, and you know, none of these things have been proven openly, et cetera. It's all still allegations. But like, I think that we can say there could be a there there. And to me that like, it, it seems like there would be justifiable reasons if the NFL finds that they want to push, you know, these two franchises in a different direction with ownership. Let me just repeat here something I've said a few times, and I used to live in this world, and this is mainly opinion based on my own experience. When a company hires an independent lawyer for the purposes of conducting an investigation, and when the company keeps hiring that same lawyer, that means the company has been happy with the outcome. That means at some yes. level the company got the outcome that it wanted. And there have been signs in the past, especially with the bounty scandal, where Mary Jo White was supposed to be some sort of independent, neutral voice to assess the evidence. She became advocate because I think she sensed that her employer wanted her to take a certain viewpoint of the evidence because a lot of this stuff is murky and gray, and it all depends upon what your perspective is. So I say all that because if the NFL wants enough evidence to move on from Stephen Ross or enough evidence to move on from Daniel Snyder, they just need to let Mary Jo White know that's what they want. That's it. It's that simple. I hate to be that cynical, but, folks, that's reality. When you're talking about billion-dollar entities hiring lawyers to engage in investigations, those entities will get from lawyers who want to continue to get the work the results they're looking for. And there's a reason Mary Jo White continues to get hired by the NFL to conduct these investigations. Let's go ahead and take a break. We've had plenty of significant trades so far in the 2022 offseason. We're going to do a draft of the next big trade we would like to see when PFTPM continues. What is your game plan for throwing out the first pitch? Um, try to get a 95 over the middle. Uh, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. Oh, my God. Bro, I was doing good before y'all came over. I swear I was. Why are you picking in the middle, bitch? Hey, are you signing this over there? You know that those guys have thrown a baseball before. Anytime you see the first pitch from the mound, mm -hmm. and it's straight and true. Because when you're on the mound, it's very different. That's why a lot of times you see the first pitches, they stand in front of the mound. When you're on the mound, you're throwing downhill. It's more pressure. It's farther. And that's why we see the occasional 
goes this way, goes that way, or whatever the case may be. But Russell Wilson played baseball, and there used to be yeah. some chatter he was going to play baseball. That was part of his leverage to get his contracts. Now the leverage was, I, I don't want to be traded, but if I were to be traded, these are the four teams I would <laughs> take a trade to. That ended up being much more effective to get him what he wanted than threatening to play baseball. All right, so, uh, Miles, oh, any thoughts on the whole first pitch are you? I don't know how big of a baseball fan you are. The whole ceremonial first pitch thing. Any, anything? Do you aspire to throw one out at an Indians? Oh, Guardians game. Oh, put one in the tip jar there. Uh, um, no, I, I don't because I don't really. Baseball is my first love, but football is my true love. That's what I always say. You know, I remember when I was like nine or ten or something. My mom got me a, a Cleveland gray jersey for my birthday. I remember standing in our kitchen and like imitating Manny Ramirez's batting stands. I, I used to do that as a kid. You know, you're playing wiffle ball. You always imitate the guys. It's fun. But I mean, I, the baseball, I can, I can, there's only so much like sports I can handle in my brain because obviously that's what we do for a living. So like right now I'm about to flip the page to the NBA because the, the playoffs are about to start. So I've been watching like the last day or two of baseball, and but once the playoffs start, ba- baseball is going to go away until after the finals for me. You know, I- I've gone through that similar experience. I was a- I was a very big baseball fan through 1992 when the Pirates lost to the Atlanta Braves, who for some reason have not changed their name. I just I don't understand. I understand why the Washington Football Team had to change its name. That was a dic- uh, dictionary. Got to be careful how you. So what now? <laughs> Enunciate that word. A dictionary defined slur. But uh, Indians, Chiefs, Braves, that's a tougher bridge for me to cross. And, hey, they they, they could change their name if they want to, but it was easier to get behind the idea that the slur needed to go. Anyway, when the Braves beat the Pirates, 1992 Game 7, Sid Bream somehow scores from second base on a fairly routine signal. Barry Bonds can't throw him out of the plate. That's when I began to detach from baseball because, number one, I knew the Pirates were going to stink, and then I got sucked into this business within a a decade after that. And once you are all in covering a sport, it is so hard to really be into, for me, any other sport. I'm so focused on football when I'm not working or watching games or talking about it, writing about it. I want to do something completely different than sports. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I can't fill up the rest of my free time with sports. Anyway, enough. At least we got, see, we got more in common than you realize. You like to try to find ways that we're different. I like to try to find ways that we're alike. We're definitely different when it comes to Back about. to the Future and movies from the 80s. But we, got a lot, we actually have a lot in common. We've never had a chance to really sit down, have a drink, <laughs> smoke a cigar. We were going to do it in L.A., but somebody got COVID and it wasn't me. I did. But, <laughs> but, oh, oh, thank you. Was that a violation of HIPAA? Was that a HIPAA violation? Actually, I didn't it. say it was you. I didn't say oh, it was right. you. Yeah. I oh, said somebody got it and it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. In the context of that, Mr. Lawyer, there's something that we Oops. can prove there. <laughs> Oops. Uh, all right. Moving right along. What's the next big trade you would like to see in the NFL? Go ahead. Well, speaking of DK Metcalf and Russell Wilson, I mean, I, I just want to see Baker Mayfield get traded to the Seahawks, right? I think that this is where we all kind of feel like it's going. And I just want it to happen in part so that we can talk about that instead of the draft for the next 20 days, because I know I said I was going to be more enthusiastic about the draft, but I'm not yet. So I, I just, I love all the quarterback movement. The quarterback movement's fun to me. I think it wouldn't take that much at this point, probably like a five and Cleveland's going to have to pay a substantial amount 
of Baker Mayfield's salary for 2022 in order to get this done. But I just want to see it happen because I, Baker Mayfield needs to get out of Cleveland. Cleveland needs Baker Mayfield to get out of there. And Seattle needs a quarterback who is not Drew Locke to compete for that starting role going into 2022. You know, there was supposed to be a podcast that dropped this week with Baker Mayfield. I haven't seen any evidence of it yet. I guess I should go uh-huh. look for it. Somebody's mentioned the other day that there was a podcast coming this week. It would be the first comments from Baker Mayfield since his farewell to Cleveland social media post. But yeah. I, I, look, I think for now the Browns are trying to slow play this. They have no urgency to move on from Baker Mayfield from a cap standpoint. The money's guaranteed. They can wait until after the draft. They can wait for somebody to get injured. I just wonder if Baker Mayfield's going to play along. When the offseason program gets up and running, is he going to show up and demand to be part of it? I know he's still got to rehab his shoulder, but he could make things awkward if he decides to show up and say, I'm here, deal with me. Uh, They may not want to. They're trying to turn the page to Deshaun Watson. There's only only so many distractions they're going to want to deal with. All right, I'm going to propose Jimmy Garoppolo to the Houston Texans. And the terms would be – I don't think the NFL teams use this enough. I would do conditional terms based upon factors that would include how many games he plays and whether or not the Texans sign him to an extension. And it would be 2023 draft picks, not 2022. So you get the $25 million off the books, and let's say it's a fourth-round pick, and it goes to a third-round pick if they sign him to a new contract, and it goes to a second-round pick if they sign him to a new contract, and he starts at least 14 games or something like that. that that's how I would do it. I think that's a fair outcome. Uh, even then, even then, I, I'm not sure the Texans would be interested. Maybe the 49ers have to pay some of that money in order to get the draft pick compensation. That's where this becomes complicated. I think both teams, even though Garoppolo's miles isn't guaranteed, if they want to move these contracts, they may need to have some flexibility to pay some of the money in order to get the draft pick compensation back. Kind of like the Brock Osweiler trade, but not as extreme. We've seen it with Ryan Tannehill. We saw it with Teddy Bridgewater last year. You may have to pay some of the money in order to get a draft pick in return for the player's contract. Yeah, but, I mean, you you need to do it. I mean, I, I think that the Niners are much better off just from an organizational standpoint if they get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo at some point, just before training camp, when I was called. But because... You don't want to go in with a quarterback controversy, potentially, between Trey Lance and Jimmy G. I just think you want to nip that in the bud before it can even get started. I agree. All right, who else uh, would you like to see traded before the season? All right, let's uh, let's go with DK Metcalf. I don't want to send him to the Jets like everybody else is saying. Let's send him to the Ravens. Let's improve the Ravens wide receiving core with somebody like a DK Metcalf because they got Hollywood Brown, they've got Bateman, and they got Watkins and all that. But I think if you have a really dynamic pass catcher like DK Metcalf, that changes the dynamic of the offense. I mean, I think we've seen it where Lamar Jackson can make plays. He can make throws. We know this. He's an MVP. He's a vast MVP. But I think that Metcalf would give them a dimension on offense that they have not necessarily had. And when you're talking about the AFC and how good that division, especially we're expecting it to be now with, you know, Joe Burrow there and their wide receiving core. And also you have Cleveland now with Sean Watson and however long he's going to play, whatever it is. But I just think the Ravens could really use an improvement with DK Metcalf. And that would be really interesting to me. 
Well, when you look at how Eric DaCosta said this week, they value their draft picks. They want to keep their draft picks and use their draft picks. And when you consider the nature of their offense, that would be a tough sell. I'd rather see DK Metcalf go to the Jets. So since you sent him to Baltimore, I'll send him to the Jets for the 10th overall pick and maybe a couple of fourth rounders. You know, the uh, Chiefs got five total picks from the Dolphins, but the first round pick they got was so much lower than 10th overall. Now, I know it's got to be hard for the Seahawks to say we're just taking back the first round pick that we gave you in the Jamal Adams trade, but at least they get it back. They get some other stuff. I think the Seahawks need to move on from Metcalf, and I think the Jets would be more attractive to Metcalf. He'll be a superstar in that market, and Zach Wilson, if he develops the way that some think that he will, that could be a guy that gets the football to Metcalf a lot more than he got it even in Seattle when Russell Wilson was there. Let's take a break. We got some questions to answer to wrap up this Friday edition of PFTPM. We'll be back with that right after this. Philadelphia Eagles have made a signing. Olympic hurdler and former Oregon Ducks receiver Devin Allen, a three-year deal. There he is in the third lane from the left, and he pulls away at the finish. He didn't even have to lean very much. He wins that one. Devin Allen, now a member of the Eagles. Reminds me of Ronaldo Nehemiah, although Nehemiah joined the 49ers. I remember there's a cover of him on Sports Illustrated. I think with his 49ers jersey on going over a hurdle, he was an experiment. He had never played football, and he ended up hanging around in the NFL for a while, but Devin Allen at least has football experience. If I remember correctly, Nehemiah had never played football, and I'm going to have to research that if I remember. Speaking of the 49ers, Lewis UTD, what's more likely to happen? Debo gets traded or Debo gets $25 million plus per year from the 49ers before week one? Your thoughts, Miles? Oh, man, $25 million plus is a lot, and I know he does a lot for that offense, but I just I don't know if they're going to want to pay him that much money, especially when you think about all the different weapons that have come through a Shanahan offense, whether you're thinking about Mike or Kyle. They seem to be able to get the most out of everybody. I don't know if I would go that high with Debo Samuel. I think it's more likely he gets that than it is that he gets traded. I mean, this guy has become the centerpiece of their offense. They're using him as a receiver and as a running back. And this is one of the realities of having great players. At some point, you got to pay your great players. They got to pay him. They got to pay Nick Bosa. And Jimmy Garoppolo is taking up 25 million plus in cap space. All right. Quick one, Uncle Phil, what's a percentage that Deshaun Watson doesn't play any football in the 2022 season unless he finds a way to settle all 22 civil lawsuits? I think a week or so ago, the commissioner made it clear at the league meetings he's not using the paid leave on Deshaun Watson. He'll get suspended potentially. He's not getting suspended for the whole year. I'd be stunned if he does. I think he plays. I think it's 100% that he's going to play at some level. We're out of time. That was quick. Miles, sorry. I I hogged the last answer. (laughs) We're, we're out of time. Enjoy your weekend. Stay cool. Get an air conditioner. Commando 8. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939.